0: And walking through a series on uh, basic Christianity in the letter of Paul, the first letter he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and uh, it's a young church, uh, it's only uh, a few months old, probably a few months to a year old, it's probably the first letter in the New Testament was written, it's kind of raw, early, Paul, early church, here it is, some of the basic things that he's communicating to them, that they're dealing with, and and that they're trying to work out as Paul disciples them and teaches them from afar through writing these letters. This morning he speaks to them and he, I pray he will speak to us about the God who speaks. The God who is not silent. And the implications of that for us, for the church and for the world. We are in... First Thessalonians chapter two, just in verses 13 to 16. "Hear then the word of God." Paul says, "And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God which is at work in you believers even now. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. And they drove us out. And they displeased God and they opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, because wrath has come upon them at last. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. We have gathered as your people. You have called us to worship. You have called us to sit at your feet and learn of you. And so that's, Lord, what we would do now, that You would speak afresh into our lives. That You would capture our hearts with the knowledge and the imagination and the power of the reality that You speak. That Your Word rings forth into this world that You have made. That Your Word thunders into our lives and it thunders into the communities around us. That it is the Word of the living God. That it is true, and right, and powerful. Oh, capture us again to Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Human destinies revolve around the question of how we respond to God's Word. We see it all through the Scripture. We see it particularly in in Jesus' ministry as He talks to different people and different groups throughout Judea and His culture at the time. And we see that the destinies of the people involved revolve around their reception and their openness to His Word. To what He is trying to tell them. It is just simply this, that if God has spoken, can we afford not to hear him is it safe to not hear him if god has spoken how can we not hear what would the consequences be to not hear to see we see clearly in this passage the consequences of unbelief and of faith we see paul delighting in and being grateful for the response of faith to God's Word and we see Him soberly. I don't know the last time you read that passage, but I don't know if you felt the weight of what He says about the rejection of His Word by Israel and the culture of His day. The consequences of faith and unbelief. And it's interesting, He says He's constantly thanking God for the way they received his word. Now, if I were to constantly thank you for the fact that my son got into Harvard Law School, which he didn't, didn't go that way. But 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 if he did and and if I were constantly thanking you for it when I passed you in the hallway or in the parking lot or you go by me at the door or I see you here and I'm like, you know, thank you so much that my son got into Harvard Law that you you know that 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 you know that he had Favor in the eyes of those in there. Thank you so much that he made it in. You'd be either one of two things: either you had something to do with it, or you would be very confused. (laughs) Why does he keep saying this to me? Why does he keep thanking me? I don't have anything to do with this. Or you did. There was some way that you pulled strings, or you know, you know, a favor, or talked to somebody, dropped a line, got an interview. Some way that you did. I say all this because Paul says he is constantly thanking God that they received the Word of God, that they heard it and accepted not as the Word of men, but they accepted it as God's Word. As what it really is. Why does he do this? (laughs) They're true believers. And why would Paul thank God that they accepted His Word? Unless he had something to do with it. Which I think is the case and is always the case. If it was purely up to the Thessalonians, why would he not be thanking the Thessalonians? Thessalonians, I'm writing to you. It's been a rough go. You know, I've been persecuted and driven out of town and all of this, and I wanted to write to you guys and to thank you for the fine reception that you gave to God's Word. You guys are awesome. But he does, and he never says it. Even when he is talking about their reception, his eyes are lifted up, his hands are lifted up, his heart is lifted up, and thanking God that they received His Word this way. Because Paul, and if you've been here through the series, tends to believe God had a lot to do with that. And the Scripture says much about this kind of thing. 1 Corinthians 12.3, it says, No one can say, Jesus is Lord. You can't make that confession. You can't come to that conclusion. You can't see through the material to the spiritual to see that this carpenter who lived and died and was crucified as a criminal on the cross, you can't see through the material and the human and the whatever else to see the Lordship of Jesus Christ except in the Holy Spirit. When Peter confesses Him to be the Christ. Do you remember this? And I think it's Luke 9 or somewhere in there. Who do the people say that I am? And they say this and that. And then, and then Peter freaks up, who do you think that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say to him? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. My Father in Heaven has revealed this to you. Right? He says this is this is the work of God. This Understanding this revelation of the Son of God to our souls as our Savior and as our King. Acts 16.14 it says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart that she might pay attention to what Paul said. The Lord opened her heart. She confessed Jesus as Lord by the Holy Spirit who opened her heart the difference between a closed heart and an open heart appears to be the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we see hearts opened and confessions made, we thank God constantly for what He is doing in the hearts and lives of people. Making His Gospel powerful and successful and effective to build His church. Paul is so grateful for what God is doing. And so in the end of verse 13, we see the effect of them receiving that Word that they receive not just as the Word of man, but as the Word of God, that it is at work in you, believers. The Word is at work. is God's Word. And it's still working. Right? It's still effective. It's still having effects and consequences and fruit in the lives of those who received it and who believed it is what it really is, the Word of God. It's still having this effect, because the Word is like a seed planted in the souls of those who receive it. Jesus tells a parable of soils. There's good soil and bad soil, and then there's soil you're not sure about until it proves itself out. But in that last soil, you know, it says the good soil received the seed of the Word. And as it did, it began to produce fruit, a harvest. Fifty, a hundredfold, He says. This, this good soil that receives the Word, it's, it's like a seed that continues to grow and put down roots and to sprout up and to show forth in power a fruitfulness in the likeness of the seed that is implanted, a principle of life. The Holy Spirit who has come to dwell in the lives of His people and to make His Word live for us and in us and through us. So that's it in verse fourteen, he says it continues to be at work in you. And fourteen he says, so that you've become imitators of other churches of God in Christ. If you remember that earlier on they became an example to churches, to other churches in the area, and here they become imitators. In other words, they have taken on the family likeness. And there are ways in which that is bearing fruit and it's an example to others of the way God's Word works, and shapes, and forms, and changes His people, and makes them more like Christ. And they've become not only uh, examples of it, but they're imitators of it. They've seen, they've seen other communities struggle and suffer under the persecution that comes to those who name the name of Jesus. And he says, and you've become imitators of them in your perseverance. You've suffered the same things as some of these other churches in Judea did but you show forth the power of that Word and it has not been stuffed out. It has not been plucked out. It has not been put down. It has not been driven out. It has persevered. And you stand on the rock. You became imitators of your brothers and sisters. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God. That's the way He does it. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to shape to grow the people of God into the image of God that is in Christ Jesus James 1:12 to all who did receive him and who believed in his name that same language of received and believed accepted that we have here that Jesus talks about or John talks about <clears throat> of Jesus those who received and believed he gave the right to become the children of God and the children of God bear the likeness the family image Receiving and believing, it's a beautiful and powerful thing that we have seen for millennia in the lives of God's people that Paul delights in as you see how God works and preserves his people, saves a people, and builds a kingdom and a church. But Paul also speaks of the rejection of that word and how both of these things will determine destiny, the reception, the rejection. He speaks of that reception of God's Word as it really is. I was looking at the Greek, trying to get the, you know, the, how this goes, and it's pretty, just pretty close. I mean, this is just what it says. That you, that you receive the Word, you, the one that you heard from us, and you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but as it really is, even as it is, in truth, the Word of God. I don't know if you've thought about it. That is an amazing statement. It's an amazing thing that we have. It's an amazing thing that we believe. It's a thing that the world uh, can't, can't handle the truth. They, they, they don't believe it. They can't handle it. this idea that, the, the, that this is the very Word of God. God's Word. The The Creator the uncreated being who is the deity behind all, the one who spoke, there is light and there was light, and the one who formed all things, the one who has saved us by His Word and who sustains all things by the power of His Word, this God has spoken to you. He's spoken to you. He is saying things to you. There's an amazingness to this that as you read again, and just as Paul is saying, it's not the Word of men. This isn't just in another opinion. Right? There are millions of opinions. It's not one opinion among many. You see, there are millions of individual opinions out there. There's no end. As many people as are, they're opinions. They're ideas, thoughts. They're just words. But God's Word is like a massive boulder in a river, and... As the river hits it, it, it goes one way or another. It's a dividing point of, of humanity. The, the Word of God that comes to the world. It came to His own. It said His own did not receive Him. He speaks of that, but this boulder that divides. Do you hear it as it really is? The Word of God. And so, it has a certain authority. It, has, it means something. It changes everything. Or, or that other side that says, eh... From Genesis 3, did God really say? Did He really say that? I don't really like that. It's not fitting my lifestyle. It's not working for me. It divides humanity and those who hear and receive and believe and live under that Word. Scripture says it's a stone of stumbling. This Gospel that we preach, 1 Peter 2, a stone of stumbling. It's a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word. The Word has come. It is God's Word. It's not another opinion. The Creator has spoken. The Word comes. It says they stumble over this Word. It's an offense to a world who do not see God the Lordship of Christ, they don't see who He is. If you, if you don't have, by the Holy Spirit, this understanding of who this is who's speaking, you are offended by what He has to say. Because what He has to say, is, in many ways, is offensive. He says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow Me, you won't walk in darkness. I'm the bread of life. If you feast on Me, you will live. I am the gate, I am the door, come through me. Everyone else is a thief and a robber. Jesus says, I am, before Abraham was. Jesus says so many things about following Him, loving Him, serving Him. And those who don't will walk in darkness. It's offensive if He's not who He says He is, it's just another opinion among many stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. They reject it. Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on My account. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because you have great reward in Heaven because this is the way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's amazing that we put you in the camp. The apostles and the prophets, but also, I believe, the church, as we go forth with that commission, with that same word, we're in the camp of the prophets who, as they speak the word of God to the world, do not find themselves always received well. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. The prophets were persecuted first, but they spoke faithfully God's word to the world. And we stand among them speaking God's Word to the world, and so we are often hated, narrow-minded, bigoted, hypocritical, whatever it is that they want to say of us, because you have this narrow word. You say, there's no other name under heaven, that's offensive. You say, God's sad to live like this, and that's offensive. God said, obey me, that's offensive to a world. Jesus says in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Know that it hated me first. If you're going to say the things that I have said, expect to be crucified, because that's the reception that the word gets in the world. It is the word of God, and if if God has spoken and He continues to speak in His revealed word, and we have the very word of God. Paul says as he is teaching the church, 1 Corinthians 2.13, he says, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. It's not, you know, I'm not making it up as I go along. It's not, you know, philosophers, it's not Plato, this is not Aristotle. This is wisdom taught by the Spirit of the living God. What I have for you is God's word. What I've been telling you is not mine. It is not the words of men. Galatians and 12 Paul says that I would have you know, brothers. I want you to know this. I want you to understand this. I want you to get this, brothers. The Gospel that was preached by me, it is not a man's Gospel. It is not the words of men. For I did not receive it from any man, not even another apostle. Interestingly, Paul didn't receive it from James and John and Peter. He says, I didn't receive it from any man, not even the other apostles. I was taught it, but I received it through a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul, in his isolation after Damascus Road, where he spent years in isolation studying the Scripture. I believe it was three years. I may may be off on there. But he spent a large amount of time in isolation when he came forth. He came forth preaching the same Gospel as the other apostles were. That God, this is... This is God's Word. He gets it right across such boundaries. Directly from God. If it is God's Word, my friends. And this we have to hear, and I know that we sort of nod our head in this direction, but I want in some ways for us to capture afresh the weight of it. If, if it is God's Word. God. We are to believe it and to receive it and to embrace it and to submit to it totally and absolutely. 2 Timothy tells us all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God might be complete and equipped for every good work. It is His Word that equips and shapes and prepares us to be His people, to be effectively His people. Those pairs of words that it reproves and teaches, and it corrects and it trains. One of those is for the mind and the other one is for the life. He teaches His Word positively to us and reproves us where we're wrong we read the scripture and we hear people say my god wouldn't do that but if you read the scripture and you see god do and then by god he does and it reproves us the word tells us where it's wrong it teaches us positively but it 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 teaches us where we're wrong. It pulls us into line. And it corrects us where we're living. It trains us in righteousness and it corrects us. We'll say, well, I want to go this way. It feels right this way. I was, You know, all these things. This is what, this is what I think. This is what I feel. This is where I want to go. This is what the culture says is good. I see it online. I've seen it on the internet. I saw it on TV. You know, then the Word comes and says no. It corrects us and trains us in righteousness. And it corrects us And it teaches us the truth. If you tell me your opinion about what I should do, I may or may not decline to do it. I appreciate your opinion. (laughs) You know, that's how we do it, right? We get advice or we do it. And if I get your opinion, I get your advice, I may or may not do it. I may or may not decline because I have my own opinion. But if God Almighty speaks to you. It is no longer an opinion. He tells you to think a certain way, to live a certain way, to believe a certain way, to act a certain way. What fool, what fool would refuse if it is in fact the Word of the creating God speaking to that which He has created in His own image? And here we bow the knee Here we submit. Here we embrace. Here we say, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Here we say, I've come to sit at Your feet and learn of You. Here I come and ask, tell me the truth. Search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way within me. Here we open ourselves to the utter truth of His Word. If God has spoken, and we afford not to be listening. And so he speaks and he delights and he gives gratitude for how the Thessalonian church had been a church that had received it. And he says they accepted it. And they did embrace it as His Word. And it was continuing to work in them like a seed that was planted. And, and it was putting down roots that were holding them fast in the storms and the persecution. And it was putting forth green leaves and fruit. It was the life that is in the image of Christ. And so they were becoming an example. And He see and He delights. Father in Heaven, I am constantly thankful for what You're doing in the lives of Your people. That You have given them birth. And you continue this work. And, and then He turns. And my friends, as He does this, I don't know, I get to these passages and they're so sometimes sobering. I don't know what to do with them other than it's God's Word. How can we afford not to listen? So we just march on. right? And even as He delights in the reception of God's Word by those who have become the church, Jew and Gentile alike, that have received the Word of God as it really is and have become the church. And then there are those who have not received the Word. Jew and Gentile alike. And he says there are consequences. Destinies are formed when you hit that boulder in the middle of the stream and and you go one way or the other. He says destinies are formed. And he says that on on the one side I delight and give God praise and thanks for, for what He has done on the other side we see the resistance to God's Word. It's not new. He goes back. He says, since, since the garden when He gave Adam and Eve the first command, the devil, the first thing He says is, did God really say that? Resistance to His Word is ancient and primordial. It is, it is the essence of sin and rebellion against God. This questioning and refusal. Did He really say, well, maybe it's this. Well, I see that it's good for this, and so it's good for the eyes, and and it's good for, you know, life, and it's good for, got a good, you know, taste to it, so I'm going to... And since that day, marching through the Old Testament, whether you got the Gentile world outside, or you got the Jewish world inside, the resistance to God's Word has been consistent and powerful. 14 and 15, he moves on, and He says that you become imitators of the churches that are in Judea. You suffered the same things they did at the hands of their own countrymen, even as they did at the hands of the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets, and who now have driven us out and driving us out. Anybody who has tried to speak the true Word of God, they have killed them or driven them off. They have fought it and resisted it. They are hostile to that Word. They love religion. It's a nation that delights in religion. But that Word that divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart, that Word that reveals the command to repent and to believe, to follow Jesus, deny yourself and take up your cross, that Word that says God is God and you are not. That word, it humbles us to our knees. That word, they will have no part of. That word is resisted. He says, and by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, they have been displeasing God and opposing all of mankind. And they're filling up that measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come on them at last. That word, at last, is the Greek telos. If you know any Greek, and you probably don't, but it's a word that means it's reached its maturity. It's reached its end. It can be translated, they, they have come upon them forever. It can mean it has come upon them completely. It has come upon them that it's finally they have filled up to the full measure, and now it is complete. You know, but it's a word, it's a very strong word. It's reached its telos, its end in fullness. He describes the persecution and the suffering that the church has at the hands of those who reject God's Word. And at the core of it going back millennia has been the Israel itself. No other ways to read His words. They killed and drove out every messenger of God. The prophets, Jesus, and then finally the Apostles. It killed many of the prophets, and when it came through the Son, they killed Him too. Jesus tells this parable. You remember that parable? Parable of the tenants? Right? It says that He lent out His vineyard to a people, and in, 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 the, in, in the parable, it's, it's Israel. And it says that He, that he sent his, his messengers, His servants to them, and it says, here's the, here, here's the owner's messengers, and if we kill them, you know, we will... Continue in our way. And so they kill the servant. And the owner says, sends another servant and he killed another servant. And finally the owner says, I will, I will send my son. Surely they'll listen to my son. And it says the landowner sent his son. And they killed him too. Jesus says to the leaders of Israel in Matthew 23, He says, thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. You are true heirs of Israel in this respect. Fill up then the same language that Paul uses here, that they always are filling up the measure of their sins. Jesus, just quoting Jesus, fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? This is the destiny forming rejection of God's Word. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, and so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar, one of the prophets. When Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate did not want to kill him. Pilate... Pilate thought of a way, thought of ways to get out of having to kill Jesus. And he said, Let's kill a criminal. I'll bring you, you know, Barabbas. We'll kill him instead. But the Jewish crowd insisted this is Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. Jesus is on trial. And while Pilate is trying to get out of it and not have to do this, and why don't we go this way? The crowd says this all the people answered. His blood be upon us and our children. Can you imagine? In crying for the death of Jesus, calling for his blood to be on your own head and on your children. It's so where in verse 15 it says, They displease God and they oppose all mankind because they, the state, the nation was meant to be a vehicle of God's word and blessing to mankind. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing, to be a light to the nations, that the word will come to you and that word will go forth to the world that you will bear witness to me. But they though they existed to mediate God's blessing to the world have spent millennia stamping it out. Always filling up the measure. And wrath has come. He says, even upon Jesus, in that quote from up in Matthew 23, he says that, that they killed him between the sanctuary and the altar. And he goes on to say, Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. That what he was speaking to them, and it does. Within, within 30 years, the temple is destroyed. Unbelieving Israel is cut off. An Old Testament religion is utterly ended. And continues to be for millennia. It's not rebuilt and it's not redone. The rejection of God's Word, he says, leads to wrath. Sometimes temporal. Always eternal. So my friends, in a sober passage about the, the reality of God's Word, And I would say this, I mean, sometimes when we simply say what it says, and I believe all I've said is what it says, is I am not (laughs) anti-Semitic. And some will say that if you start saying things like that about Israel, you're anti-Semitic in some way. Uh, And hear me, I simply, if I've said any more than the text says that, that Jesus said, or in some way, then forgive me. But I would say this, that Israel is not any different than the rest of the unbelieving world. They were just to the first. The Gospel went to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And it says that throughout. And Paul went to Thessalonica. He went to the synagogue first, to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. And I would say that so they were the first to reject. So Jesus went first to Israel. And He was rejected there. But the rejection is the same rejection Paul is saying to the Thessalonians that you're experiencing now. And you're imitators of the churches in Judea who suffered it from their countrymen. And now you're suffering it from your countrymen. In other words, there is this winnowing, this division that goes in every nation on the planet that starts to Israel first and then to all the nations as the Gospel continues to go out. And so there's nothing... I'm not singling them out in one way. It just started there as ground zero for the Word of God. It's ground zero for the Gospel. But the story is the same. Through history and across the world, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they will not tolerate those who preach it. Let me end with some thoughts in terms of if God has spoken, we cannot afford to not listen. We must expose ourselves to God's Word. We must pick it up and read it. Augustine heard God, heard a child saying and heard, pick up and read, and it changed his life. That We have to expose ourselves to His Word. If God has spoken, we cannot afford to not be listening. We can't afford to be shaped more by our culture and our television than we are by God's Word and His truth. We can't afford to not be listening. We need to expose ourselves to be reading it. And, and in Sunday school, we have a, a Bible tract that if you go through five years of Sunday school, you will be taught every single book in the Bible. Um, you know, that the goal is in a sense of biblical literacy and exposure you know, that begins to shape your thinking about the Word and having an understanding that you can, that you can go deep with. Small groups, my small group, we've been studying Proverbs and Hebrews. And it's been so good week after week to to read it and to talk about it and to chew it together and what difference does it make. And and that Word shaping our minds, shaping our thinking and exposing ourselves to it in so many ways. And for my friends, we, we are not so much in danger of rejecting God's Word. We are in danger of being complacent about that Word. For familiarity breeding contempt. And for us neglecting so great a gift. That we should expose ourselves to this Word. We should think the very thoughts of God after Him. Right? If it's His words, these are God's thoughts. Put out in words to us. And we have the privilege to think those thoughts after Him. And to have our minds then follow in the track of the very thoughts of God concerning all things to think his thoughts, expose ourselves to his words. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and meditates day and night. We are to preach to ourselves. That is, that we don't just expose ourselves to it, but we think about it. Scripture calls it meditating. But we think about it. We think about it in God's presence. We think about it together. I think of small group as sort of joint meditation. We read the text. We talk about the text. We think about what it means. And we, we think about what God has said. That's the next step. So often we don't go forth from here to think about what He has said. To let it saturate our hearts and our minds and our choices. To submit ourselves to His Word. I'll leave you again with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. He does a Sermon on the Mount and He teaches them again God's Word. And as He ends it, He says this, that everyone who hears these words of Mine and does them, does them, receives and accepts where it's implanted and it begins to bear a harvest of righteousness in their life. Everyone who hears these words of Mine and does them, He's like a wise person, a man or a woman who's building their house on the solid rock of truth, of a life that is honestly embracing, submitting to this Word. It's like building your house on the rock. When the rain fell, the floods came. If you suffer, whether it's what the Thessalonians suffer or whatever the Lord brings into your life, when the floods come, the house did not fall. Because it was built on the rock of God's Word in all of its truth and application in our lives everyone who hears the word of mine and does not put them into practice. It to be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You heard my word. You listened to it week after week. You grew in your knowledge of it. But the one who does not put it into practice and to see it shape and form them, it's like a man who's building his house on the sand. And when the rains come and the flood comes, the winds blow. Great was the fall. Oh, if God is speaking, can we afford to not be listening? Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true. We thank You that You are a God who speaks and who is not silent. That You have spoken into Your world and You are speaking into our lives and You are calling us to Yourself and calling us to obedience and faithfulness and You are pouring forth Your Spirit that we might have power to be all that You call us to be. Oh, would You help us to indeed sit at Your feet and learn of You to open ourselves to Your Word, to be exposed, to pursue it, to pursue wisdom in the streets like gold. And we would dig for it like treasure. That we would love it like our very food and sustenance. Blessed are those who live not only on bread, but on the very Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.